Hey everybody, I'm Brad Palumbo and you're watching Right Now. Today we're talking about the National Conservatism Conference, recently held in Orlando, Florida, and featuring speakers like Senator Josh Hawley, Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Ted Cruz, and many more. Joining me today to discuss is Nate Hockman, a rightly contributor and reporter for the National Review. Nate, thanks so much for joining me. It's good to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me. So you went to the conference. Tell us about it. Yeah, so it was a three-day conference down in Orlando, Florida, um, all about the project of national conservatism, which I think we'll get into. It's the second conference that there had, the, the national conservatism conference has held. The first one was in 2019. They skipped the second one due to pandemic restrictions. Um, and it's all about basically trying to formulate a coherent nationalist populist political agenda going forward. It's trying to take the sort of realignment that was begun by Trump's election in 2016 and turn it into an actionable policy agenda that can actually win right. going forward for the Republican Party. So for people that are listening that don't kind of follow these intellectual debates on the right too closely, what we're talking about is this old consensus of like Ronald Reagan style fusionism, economic libertarianism, right. social conservatism, more aggressive foreign policy, and now a branch on the right that wants to do away with that or at least move away from it and favors more nationalist, more populist policies. But tell us, what was the point? If you went to the, the, their founding statements, their mission statement, or what the organizers said, their goal of this conference, what was it? Yeah, I mean, I think like we've been talking about, it's trying to move away from an old way of thinking on the right in terms of the sort of Ronald Reagan era of conservatism um, and try to basically apply timeless conservative principles to a new moment with new political needs. The broad feeling at the conference, and of course there's a variety of opinions on anything, uh, is, the, is the idea that the kind of politics and the policy agenda of the 1980s pushed by people like Ronald Reagan was the application of conservative principles to specific policies that were good for the moment. But now we have a different moment with different needs and we need to think differently. So we can't just keep running the 1984 agenda of tax cuts and deregulation over and over again. There are other things that need attending to. And we, the, the project of the national conservatives, I think, is to try to figure out what those are and what policies we can push uh, to, to try to address them. Well, and I will say it's an interesting group of people at this conference. I already mentioned a couple lawmakers, Cruz, Haley, Rubio, but there was also everybody from um, African-American intellectuals like Glenn Lowry to uh, New York Post op-ed editor Sora Bomari, who is you know, one of these people advocating for a very different, more big government style of social conservatism, economic populism. Then you also have people like Dave Rubin, you know, the YouTuber who, very libertarian, very classically liberal, nice guy. Uh, and then you also have people like Peter Thiel, the big tech, I guess you could call him, um, billionaire who's funded a lot of this stuff, who is not very libertarian to say the least. So I guess what united all these different speakers? What did they have in common besides just the desire to come up with something different? So it was a really ideologically um, diverse group of speakers, and I think that's one of the challenges for the national conservatives going forward. I've, I've written about this a little bit about the conference in terms of the fact that um, the ideological diversity is good, but it also means that it's sometimes difficult to tell exactly what the national conservatives stand for. But I think the broad sense among all the speakers, despite the variety of disagreements that, that you rightly point out, is the sense that what the sort of establishment right the establishment GOP, for lack of a better word, has been offering for the last couple decades, 
no longer works. That kind of politics is insufficient to meet the needs of the moment. And we need new ideas, new ways of thinking, new policy agenda being put forward to, to address new problems, particularly in the digital age, the digital era and you know technology big issues, big tech, but also the broader kind of social malaise that comes about, I think, as a result of things like, like the internet. Um, those are issues that featured very prominently. And that's why I think you have things like people like Dave Rubin alongside people like Saurabh Amari, who I usually wouldn't, I think, be placed together in the same like ideological grouping. They're both responding to a new set of problems that um, I think the the old sort of conservative establishment hasn't adequately adequ adequately tried to sort of engage with yet. Yeah, I do think though that one of the first things I raised my eyebrow at when I was reading your reporting, which we'll link to in the show notes about this, everybody should check out. But about this conference was they're responding to this what they identify as a failed consensus. But I can't help but think that it's to some extent a straw man of what the actual policies have been. They describe, you know, cold-blooded free market capitalism, libertarianism dominating the GOP, and other things that they are done with and think haven't worked. But someone like me who, who likes those things looks at George W. Bush and does not see a libertarian or a fiscal conservative, <laughs> looks at Donald Trump, sees some libertarian things, but also some very non-libertarian things, looks at Mitt Romney, sees a lot of not libertarian things there, um, looks at John McCain. So it's like, to what extent are they shadow boxing an imaginary or exaggerated version of the GOP orthodoxy? And to what extent are they actually grappling with what the right really has been over the past decade? So I think, you know, there, from the libertarian perspective, from like an actual principled libertarian perspective, there are a number of reasons to be uh, frustrated with the GOP and to sort of look at the idea that the GOP has been excessively libertarian and go, what world are you living in, right? And I understand that critique because the GOP uh, certainly hasn't reigned in government in the way that libertarians would like um, over the last few decades. They've uh, massively expanded the security state, which is something that a lot of national conservatives would agree with libertarians on as bad. You know, they've been foreign policy adventurists, right? All of these things that libertarians, I think, rightly critique about the GOP. So the GOP hasn't towed a libertarian line, certainly. Um, but at the same time, the the substance of the national conservative critique of the GOP is that they have been operating from this sort of old 1980s era conception of government as this neutral arbiter of a public square that doesn't actually engage substantively with the particularly the cultural battles, but also with an understanding of economics that's more robust and understands that economics is connected to the things that we care about in terms of family, human So what are some examples that they would have cited at this conference of specific things where the GOP claimed neutrality and didn't advance their vision of the common good or whatever? Yeah. So one example, I think, is you know the family, right? This, that was a big uh, topic of conversation. Uh, the, the GOP has sort of stood by as the American family has been decimated over the last 50 or 60 years or so. Um, part of that is because of cultural developments like the sexual revolution, but part of it is also because of these broader economic um, uh, forces that have made it much more difficult for people, particularly young people like you and me, to start families, right? And you know, if you are a social conservative in particular, but if you're a lot of different kinds of conservatives, the family is the backbone of any healthy, happy society. And the GOP refusing to actually do anything like, for example, child tax credits are you know, something that came up. But there's a variety of other things that we can talk about to actually protect families. Um, and this also expands to cultural issues like debates over education, critical race theory, gender ideology in public schools. All of those things have to do with building an America that is safe to raise children in. And the GOP, you know, sitting back and basically say it's not government's job to actually get involved in these things. And really, the only thing they have to 
offer voters is tax cuts over and over and over again. Um, you know, that, that kind of stuff is not a substantive vision of what a conservative agenda that is actually capable of engaging with the moment looks like. But I guess I'd push back that they've only just run on tax cuts. I mean, immigration, abortion, free speech, a bunch of these things have been gun rights, have been defining issues of Republican candidacies that aren't just tax cuts. Yes, they've cut taxes, but also like, that's good. The Republican tax cut of 2017 is a successful policy that a lot of these national conservatives supported or would support. Maybe some would not, but I guess that gets me to one thing about this conference that I still don't quite understand, which you mentioned it was an ideologically disparate group of people. Uh, and there are some true like revolutionaries in there. I disagree with just about everything Sarab Omari has to say, but he's articulating a vision of something very different from the status quo. But is Ted Cruz? Let's roll a clip. I'm going to commit a radical act. I'm going to speak the truth. America is great. The Taliban are terrorists. The Chinese communists are evil bastards. Christopher Columbus discovering America was a good thing. So, Nate, I don't know about you, but in that clip, we shortened it, right? It goes on for minutes. It does, yeah. Uh, Shockingly long. Right, yeah. it's very long. But those things from Senator Cruz are extremely just like boilerplate Republican yeah. or even just things that most people would agree with. Like, America's great. Mm -hmm. Discovering America was good. No one disagrees with these things. They're not radical. They're not revolutionary. So some of the ideas of this conference were pioneering. But did it stand out? Was Cruz an exception? Or were there a fair amount of just like old-fashioned talking points just at this conference. Yeah, so you know this, Brad, because you read the, the corner post I did about it over um, at NRO. I have no idea why Ted Cruz was at the conference. And I, I'm sympathetic to the National Conservative Project. I had a great time at the conference. I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of those guys, but I, I'm not exactly clear why, why Ted Cruz was there. I don't think he... Uh, understands what is actually going on at the conference, um, and that was, you know, that was actually something that a lot of the conference goers said. I mean, if you, I, you know, talking to a lot of the people, especially the young people at the conference, um, there's a lot of confusion about that speech in particular. There were a couple other speeches like that where it was, it was sort of boilerplate CPAC style speeches. Socialism bad, capitalism yeah, good. You know, Marxism bad, etc. Which you know, I agree with, right? right. Uh, like we do I, agree I, with uh, all yeah, of that, right? Like, like you know, Marxism is bad, socialism's bad. Um, but it's not breaking with any orthodoxy. Exactly. So there, there was a lot of the conference that I think were substantive critiques of the old conservative movement orthodoxy, but Ted Cruz uh, didn't offer any of them. Well, one person who did is somebody that I very much disagree with, but like and respect, Josh Hammer, Newsweek opinion editor. And here's what he had to say. Let's roll a clip of him. The silver lining of the ultimate failures of this post-war neoliberal-inspired conservative movement is that those failures have laid bare for all to see the misbegotten notion that the public square, as Michael Knows spoke about just a few minutes ago, and by extension, institutions such as the free market and constitutional interpretation itself can ever be values neutral. That is a lie. They cannot ever be values neutral, period. So can you just explain to us in simpler terms what Josh, and this is the general mood of a lot of people at this conference, what they're trying to say when they talk about going away from value neutrality? Yeah. So Every law legislates morality. I think this is the problem with the kind of uh, certain kind of values neutral classical liberal understanding of government. Even things like limited government have a moral case and they are 
advancing a specific substantive vision of the human good. Um, and I think the idea that government is a neutral arbiter and that government policy isn't actually something that has a non-neutral effect on the public square, on our political community overall, um, is a fantasy. I mean, that's what Josh is, is articulating quite well there. And there's any number of examples of how that the internalization of that incorrect view in the conservative movement. Like what? Well, one thing, for example, is, is the child tax credits like we talked about. I mean, you have the Wall Street Journal editorial board hitting Marco Rubio all the way back in 2015 for child tax credits because it's social engineering, right? Trying to, you know, engineer child things that are pro-child family policies into the tax code, but also things like, you know, we need to have a conversation as conservatives uh, as to why large amounts of taxpayer dollars are going to universities that hate us all around the country, right? We don't owe those universities taxpayer dollars. And the, the conservative resistance to things like that, to things like, you know, uh, restricting the teaching of critical race theory in public schools, which are monopolistic government-run institutions, all of that can be traced back to the idea that the government in any way putting its finger on the scales for one side or the other is contrary to conservative principles, which is a total perversion of what conservative principles were traditionally understood to be. You know, like public schools are monopolistic government-run institutions. They're not neutral marketplace of ideas. So we absolutely as a legislature have a duty to make sure that things being taught there are advancing a vision of what we think is good for children, right? Universities that are recipients of taxpayer dollars. Which is almost all of them. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like it is completely consistent with limited government and conservative traditional principles to say, you know, if you're going to receive these things, we expect you to not teach insane things that are patently untrue and are bad for the country, right? It is okay to talk about the common good in this context, right? If you're going to receive taxpayer money, if you're going to benefit from favorable government policies, you should act in a way that is good for the country because we're using taxpayer dollars to fund you. So all of those things, and there's a number of other things that we can go down the list so, about. But the question I have here sure. is kind of central to this entire thesis and idea, which is that I don't disagree with you that perhaps neutrality is not actually a thing. However, there's a difference between at least striving for neutrality and not reaching it or actively putting your thumb on the scale, which we do sometimes, but they'd like to do a lot more of. My question though for these people, and I would love to, to have been there and been able to ask them this, is hardcore social conservatives are an extreme minority in this country. Very religious, very fundamentalist people, whether they're Mormon, whether they're Orthodox Jewish, um, they're, they're a significant minority of the country, right? There's millions of people. but they're not going to win in a system where the government's putting the thumb on the scale for one view or another if in a democratic system. I mean, they're simply not. Things like Christian teachings on um, gay rights, for example. This is not the majority position. And the idea that you could impose that, I, I wonder though, if you, if you open the door to putting the thumb on the scale using government, is the vision of the common good that will actually get pushed more openly really going to be one that hardcore social conservatives like? So I, I think the argument is that the, the door is already open. The thumb is on the scale. And it's never not been on the scale, by the way. That's just how government works. The idea that what they're talking about is opening the door to a new kind of way of thinking about government that could award more power to the left that we haven't done before. But sorry, one, one quick point of clarification. Mm -hmm. In some ways, you're right, but in some ways it is. The Drag Queen Story Hour is a good example, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, neutrality protects the right of crazy things like Drag Queen Story Hour, but as David French and others have pointed out, it also protects the right of Christian groups to organize on campuses and to rent out public library spaces and other things. That's an area where they do want to change something. They want the state to actually 
actually come in and say some groups can't participate. Well, it depends what you mean. I mean, the drag, the, the, we don't have to get into the, the specific rabbit hole of drag right. queen story hour, right? But it's, there's also a debate about sort of public utilities and public grounds and what should and shouldn't be appropriate. But the broader point is looking at this at a sort of macro level, uh, you know, standing back and saying we don't want to use government, um, you know, we don't want to sort of depart from this idea of neutrality in the pursuit of our goals of a substantive vision of the common good. That doesn't actually prevent the left from exercising government power or using the cultural institutions they control to advance um, their vision of what's good. It just basically takes us out of the fight before we've even begun to fight. So the 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 social conservatives are increasingly a minority in this country in terms of stuff like LGBT rights, like, like you talked about, but family policy isn't a minority in this country. Banning critical race theory and gender ideology in schools is not a, a, a minority in this country, right? There are substantive social conservative goals that advance the broader vision of the good that we're, we're interested in um, that are popular and that we should be doing and that will actually push back against the kind of toxic things that the cultural left is pushing um, that I think this, this national conservatism conference is dedicated to fighting. Well, I, I, look, there's a lot to unpack there. I don't necessarily disagree with all of that, but one thing that I, I, I have a concern about with this national conservatism entire brand is that it's wrapped not just in those ideas, but also in kind of a Trumpy anti-elitism, right? These people talk about the elites, the media, constantly bashing on the experts or the professors. Let's roll a quick clip of J.D. Vance talking about professors and academia at this conference. I think in this movement of national conservatism, what we need more than inspiration is we need wisdom. And there was a wisdom in what Richard Nixon said approximately 40, 50 years ago. He said, and I quote, the professors are the enemy. So Nate, I, I wonder if, I don't like the elites either, right? But there's a bit of phoniness around this. I mean, he, he's an Ivy League graduate. Senator Josh Hawley, Ivy League graduate. Ted Cruz, Ivy League graduate. Many of these people, Peter Thiel, isn't he a billionaire? I mean, isn't there something hypocritical or hollow about this movement when it's based on anti-elitism but is populated almost exclusively by elites? No, I actually don't think there is. I, look, there are, there are substantive um, and, and legitimate critiques of the forms that right-wing populism or, or any kind of populism take in modern American politics. But I think the, the least convincing one, which is one that I hear a lot, is the idea that because these people come from the elite class that somehow they're phony or, or hypocritical in making critiques of the elites. I mean, any real populist project has always understood that it needs class traders in order to succeed. It needs people who are part of the elite class to actively champion the interests of the people against that class because you need people in power to advance the kinds of things that you're interested in. I mean, FDR was a member of the elite, right? Now, you and I probably both have pretty negative feelings about FDR for the most part, but uh, you know, it was, I don't think he was phony or hypocritical in trying to advance his project. He, as he understood it, was, was doing what was good for people even though he came from the elite. Any populist project throughout history has always had members of the elite on their side. So, um, you know, we do need class traders. And I don't I think, think it's hypocritical at all. To the be same way that many of these people would point at Bernie Sanders having multiple houses, this is a critique they're going to have to be ready to grapple with. But Nate, we could keep going for hours on this. One last question. How is it at this conference that you ended up buying rooms full of people drinks? Well, I uh, cynically and wrongly, um, although I'm happy that I'm wrong, uh, thought Glenn Youngkin was going to lose uh, the Virginia election. And I tweeted um, that if Glenn Youngkin won, I would buy the conference shots. Um, and he did win. So I ran up a, a, a 
financially irresponsible bar tab, um, buying a lot of people's shots. But I'm I am was happy to pay it because I'm excited. Uh, Glenn Young can took it. So. Well, there you go, Nate Hockman, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brad Palumbo. This has been Right Now. Hit that like button, leave a comment, let us know what you think of the national conservatism movement, and we'll see you next time on Right Now.